0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com. King of KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Graybar Sports Open Line. Those mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pawley on a America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go,
1: here we go, here we go. Let's go. It is a Friday night edition of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Great to have you with us here on KMOX. My name is Matt Paulie. Have you for the next two hours? We're with you till all the way till 8 o'clock tonight. And hey, by the way, Friday nights. That means tonight it is week number two of the Rachel Zimmerman Show, a brand-new show that debuted last week. It's going to be on tonight at uh, 9 o'clock, and actually Rachel is going to be with us uh, towards the end of the program today to give a preview of uh, what's going on. But we've got a full Friday night between us and uh, the Rachel Zimmerman Show. we got the takeout uh, with Major Garrett, so a lot going on here on KMOX this evening. Jam-packed, jam-packed sports open line. Uh, in about ten minutes, we are going to be joined by the first time ever by uh, Matthew DeFranks. He is now the Blues beat writer for the Post Dispatch and STL Today. We'll get his thoughts on what happened last night. I thought pretty good night for the Blues. All things considered, it's one game. It's the first game of the season. Uh, you're not you're not cementing yourself as a playoff club because of that, but. For whatever we can take away from it, I thought it was mostly a solid night for the Blues. You would have liked to have seen them score a few more goals. Uh, they got one that wasn't great, but Jordan Bennington was pretty good defensively. They were pretty good. Those were you know we've talked so much uh, over and over and over and over and over. I said leading in the season the the two big things. Actually, I said there were three big things, uh, but two of them were just consistent goaltending from Jordan Bennington. So if he goes and does what he did last night, just about every night, it's a playoff team. And needed uh, to see the d- defense to step up. I thought defensively, team was pretty solid last night. Now Bennington helped out the defense, but you know what? The defense helped out Bennington a little bit. It works both ways, so I thought it was a pretty solid evening for the Blues. The other, the third thing which we didn't see was better power play scoring uh, this year. That's the those are my three keys for the Blues' season: consistent goaltending from Bennington, uh, def, really your top four defensemen taking a step forward, and power play scoring. Those three things all happen. This is a playoff team this year. And we saw two of those three things yesterday. It was a shootout loss, but it was a point. It's against a really good Dallas team. It's on the road. Now let's see what they can do tomorrow. Uh, we're also, uh, later on in the program, going to be joined by uh, Irvin Muchnick. He uh, wrote the book Without Helmets or Shoulder Pads. It's about the dangers of high school football conditioning. It's interesting. And uh, we're going to have a conversation with him at about uh, 6.35 next hour. One of my good friends who uh, I worked with in Milwaukee, who now does national work for uh, CBS Sports Radio, uh, Bart Winkler. And I referred to this as a low-hanging fruit story the last few days that I didn't really want to talk about very much. And what do you know? I'm talking about it now. But the difference being is there were baseball playoff games going on the last few nights. I didn't want to talk about this when games were going on. Well, we don't have games for a couple days, so I can go to the low-hanging fruit that is – the baseball playoff format and whether or not it is correct. If baseball is doing things the right way, I think it's just fine. I have no sympathy for teams that get a few days off and end up losing. Historically, it doesn't happen very often, even though it's happened a lot this year. Bart Winkler from CBS Sports Radio, he disagrees with me vehemently, so we will uh, we'll hash it out coming up at about uh, 7.20, and then also next hour, we'll play back some of the comments that were made by uh, Craig Berube. Two Cardinals things I want to get to real quick here to uh, lead off, and we'll touch on them a little bit more later on in the program. First off, a really scary situation yesterday with the Cardinals-Dominican complex where uh, armed robbers, thieves, thugs, whatever you want to call them, uh, broke into the Dominican complex and stole jewelry and baseball equipment and phones and money. No individual was physically harmed. If you're not familiar with with what a Dominican Republic baseball complex is, It's not like what the Cardinals have in Jupiter where guys kind of come and go and and that sort of thing. Players essentially live there. And it's a lot of teenagers. It's a lot of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Old. The way baseball works now is you bring in these players and you put them into your system as teenagers, and they'll spend two, three, four years sometimes at these complexes living there, learning baseball, and eventually as they maybe get 18, 19 years old, they get over to the United States and, and they get into your minor league system domestically. But that's what a complex is in the Dominican Republic. And, um You've got those in the Dominican, you've got those in Venezuela, and those are parts of the country that there certainly is some unrest. Not everything is super safe there. I've always, I've never been to the Dominican Republic. I've always wanted to go. Uh, I've always wanted to watch, like, I've wanted to go to Venezuela to see some of those uh, some, what, Winter League games that go on. I just hear the environment for those are incredible. That's a bucket list item for me to do at some point in time. But there are some things that happen in that part of the country, and this was not the first baseball complex to be targeted. Recently, the Cleveland Guardians and the Miami Marlins had the exact same thing happen at their Dominican complexes. Don't know if it's the same group of people or not. Uh, the Cardinals issued a statement about it today. They said they are immediately looking at their security measures, and uh, they will be making changes. But that's a scary situation. And then the other big story today came from uh, Martin Kilcoin from Channel 2, where... He said that there has at least been conversations between the Cardinals and Yadier Molina about Molina coming on as part of the coaching staff moving forward. Now we don't really know if there'd be any interest for Molina. We don't know what what you know position on the staff that would be. In the article that was written on the Fox Two website, it doesn't list an exact position. If you watch the video that accompanies that where it was first presented on channel two, Martin did kind of a crosstalk with the anchors for a moment and he at that point he mentioned the bench coach. Of course the Cardinals have a bench coach in Joe McEwing. Uh, we we thought that there probably be some changes on the coaching staff. Uh, don't really know what the relationship uh, – from everything we heard, the relationship was perfectly fine between McEwing and, and Oliver Marmel. But if Yadier Molina would be interested in joining the coaching staff, how much better could that make the team just from his presence being there? And that's something just to watch out for. Martin doesn't say that unless he knows something. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. Honestly, if I've got to go – above 50-50 or below 50-50 of Molina being on the coaching staff next year? I probably go below. And I just I don't I don't think I, I don't I have zero personal relationship with Molina. But from what I know, I have a hard time believing he's ready to jump full into this position and the grind that is Baseball and he's got so many other things, uh, coaching and managing internationally. The basketball team that he owns, like there's just so many things going on in his life. I think it's easier said than done. Now, can you get him in to work uh, as a special instructor during spring training? Can he can he come in during the course of the year? Can you send him out to some of the minor league affiliates to work with catchers, things like that? That would be great, and that's probably the first step towards him being involved. But again. You know what? We don't know how he feels. Maybe he misses the everyday grind of a Major League Baseball season. And if they offered it to him and... It worked. Maybe he would do it. So I don't know. All right, we will take a break, and when we return, we are going to welcome Matthew Franks onto the program. He is the Blues beat writer for the Post Dispatch in STL. Today, we'll get his thoughts on what it was like for the Blues last night in their two-one shootout loss in Dallas, and getting set for their home opener tomorrow against Seattle. That's up next. It's a Graybar Sports Open Line on
0: KMOX. Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone.
1: A great our sports open line rolls on right here on KMOX. great to have you with us tonight. I thought a solid first game for the Blues yesterday evening. They lose in a shootout to the Stars 2-1, uh, but they get a point out of it. And now the home opener coming up tomorrow. We're going to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line right now. Very happy to uh, welcome onto the show for the first time ever. He is the beat writer covering the Blues for the Post Dispatch and STL Today. He is Matthew DeFranks. You can follow him at uh, on Twitter at m d e f r a n k s. Matthew, thank you for uh, taking some time. I know you got here midway through the. Season season last year, but this is our first chance to talk, so uh, welcome to St. Louis. Welcome to the solo beat now for uh, the Blues, and it's great to have you on the program.
2: Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, good to, good to be chatting with you, good to be uh, in St. Louis.
1: What, uh, what's your general takeaway from a, a 2-1 shootout loss where it felt like, at least from my perspective, I thought more good than bad last night for the Blues?
2: Yeah, it was a pretty solid opener, I would say, um, it's kind of the things you're looking for to be improved from last year looked improved from last year uh the defense looks looked a little bit better uh Jordan Bennington looked fantastic last night uh so those were some positives that they could bring and I know uh Craig Berube and and some of the players are really pleased with their work ethic uh the way they competed and uh, the way they battled with what should be a Stanley Cup contender uh, down there in Dallas so they were all pleased with that. I mean, of course, there there are things to iron out. I mean, the, the power play did not look very good at all. Uh, the top line with uh, Buchnevich, Thomas, and Cairo, uh, they had some creative moments, uh, but uh, obviously they didn't get on the on the score sheet, and, and that's what you want them to do. So uh, work to be done on the offensive end of things. But, you know, as far as a first game uh, of a season coming off a disappointing campaign last year on the road uh, against one of projected to be one of the best teams in the league, uh, a lot to light like from from last night's game, and a lot of room for improvement to leave for the rest of the season too
1: The top four defensemen are so key for this team and Letty Krug, Falk, and Pareco and earlier today, uh, Craig Barubi met with the media and, and he specifically talked about the game that that Pareco had. When you look at those four top four, you know four defensemen and those top two uh, defensive pairings, who stood out to you? Was it Pareco? was it just the group overall?
2: Yeah, I think it was probably mostly Pareko, but uh, you know, one B would be Letty. Uh, I think there were times last night where you see them skating the puck out of their own end uh, through the neutral zone, creating the zone entry for for the Blues, and you see what they do when when they're doing that, and you wonder why it can't be a more regular thing. Uh, you know, I turned to someone last night when I was sitting in the press box and say, "Well, you, we see him do that, and that's what makes it." Frustrating when he when he hasn't played that well recently because you can see the tools are there, you see the skating, you see the size. Obviously, the right hand right handed defenseman and those are tough to find. So, the the way that Colton Pareko skated pucks out last night was uh, was eye opening. Uh, you know, there were still some things that you you kind of perverted <laughs> to last year. I think in the first period there was a giveaway that almost resulted in a in a Joe Pavelski goal um, with the puck sitting right behind Jordan Bennington. But way more good from from Colton Parayko than bad, and you know with Nick with Nick Letty, honestly similar things to Parayko, just a uh, you know a smaller left-handed version of of him in terms of skating the puck out. I mean, he was very active, uh, going to the neutral zone and getting into uh, the Dallas end and um, getting clean exits, clean entries. So those two guys uh, looked good, kind of stood out. Um, I, yeah, I think those top four, the Blues are really counting on to to bounce back. They didn't address really anything uh, on defense, except for hiring a new assistant coach. And it's basically the same group. You have a healthy Marcos Candela. You have Tyler Tucker is going to play a lot more than he did last year, but that top four, they're going to eat a lot of the minutes and you're going to need them to be better. And uh, last night was, it was a good first step.
1: I know this is a really hard question to answer from a, from an observer's point of view, but you mentioned bringing a new coach. They, they did change out some positions on the coaching staff coming into this year. Do you get a sense that there, that's been a positive development and the staff is working well together?
2: Yeah, it's tough to say um, the blues don't allow their assistant coaches to speak to reporters. So Really tough to to get a handle on what exactly they are, you know, what their philosophies are and stuff like that. But I do know that with Mike Weber coming in as a defensive coach, they did change things uh, on the defensive zone coverage side. Uh, they're more of a, a zone defense for for lack of a uh, more specific term. Uh, essentially, they broke down the zone into quadrants. Each guy is responsible for a quadrant, and the center is responsible for the middle and kind of everything else. So it's a little bit different than they they played last year. Uh, They're hoping to protect the slot a little bit more um, where they gave up a lot of goals last year. So the the trade-off might be allowing them some more possession up top, but you're going to give them, you know, those long range shots from the blue line or bad angle shots from the the boards and things like that. And I think we saw some of that last night. Uh, Obviously Jordan Bennington did have to make some, uh, some highlight reel saves uh, and, you know, some of them were, one of them was, big one was in overtime. One of them was at the tail end of a power play. So not all, you know, five-on-five defensive coverage stuff. Um, but, yeah, the assistant coach, Mike Weber, it seems that that's been a, a big change uh, from him. And you know, he's running the penalty kill, too, and the penalty kill was uh, was perfect last night and kind of ended the preseason on a good note. So, uh, yeah, tough to say exactly what the, the effect has been, but we can see some of the, the things going into motion right now.
1: We're talking with uh, Matthew DeFranks. He covers the Blues for the Post-Dispatch and STL today. Jordan Pennington was really good. We know that Jordan Pennington can be really good. We saw him win a cup. We saw him uh, two years ago in the playoffs before getting injured. Uh, Looked like he was probably leading the Blues to maybe an upset against Colorado. What he hasn't done in his career is be just that steady guy in the regular season, that game in, game out. You basically know what you're going to get from him. What what do they do to get that? Because that's a uh, that. It was great to see what we saw from him last night, but that that doesn't show the consistency quite yet.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't really know what what the Blues would do. I think it's more of a more of a, a Jordan Bennington thing, right? I mean, he's he's responsible for for his own plays, for his own actions, and um, you know, I you know, the numbers weren't good last year, right? And I think we all know that the Blues defense wasn't good, and they kind of left him to out to dry uh, a lot of times and i think the where i landed on his season last year was the blues did not help jordan bennington uh do his job um but jordan bennington didn't bail out the blues enough uh you know that maybe he should have right so um it kind of cuts both ways with him but as far as consistency goes i, I don't really I don't really, really know uh, where that comes from, to be honest. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of, uh, of goaltending the minute, the minute details there. And uh, uh, you know, what goes on in Jordan Bennington's head. I mean, we know that he can be very, very good. Uh, he's very focused on, on a task uh, for the most part. And uh, last night he was the best player on the ice for the blues. Uh, that was, he was the only reason they got a point out of that game. And, uh, Definitely a good sign to see for the rest of the season if uh, you're counting on a bounce-back season from the Blues.
1: It's kind of funny. I, I think with the Blues, and this has been true for a long time, there seems to be sometimes almost an obsession on that fourth line and what they're able to to really bring to a team. And, and maybe that's just part of the personality of St. Louis. But uh, Craig Bruby talked earlier today about Oscar Sundquist, and you look at that fourth line and their ability. What. What does that group of uh, Sunquist Torpchenko and neighbors what does that group bring to this team
2: they'll They'll hit you <laughs> they they will hit you for sure <laughs> that, I, mean, I think I was looking at that first maybe it was that first shift from Alexei Torpchenko last night. I think he probably threw three hits uh, on the first shift. Uh, they might not all count as official hits in the in the stat book, um, but he was going out there and then laying the body on guys and that's something you can count on from all three guys on that line, you know, Torpchenko, Sun Twist, and Jake Neighbors. You know, the the advanced numbers aren't going to look good. I think when I was looking at them today, them as a line, um, you know, the Stars had ten shot attempts when they were on the ice, and the Blues had zero when that when that line was on the ice. But it's yeah, not going to tell the the complete story uh, with them in terms of uh, tone setting. Um, and what they're able to do on special teams as well. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, you know, he drew two penalties last night. He almost scored a shorthanded goal on a, on a feed from Jesperi Kapanen. Uh, I believe it was uh, the second period. Yep. And then uh, in overtime, you know, Sundquist uh, wins a big faceoff on a four-on-three, and then a big blocked shot, and he almost uh, got to a puck by diving to it too. So those are the things that you know maybe you won't see at five-on-five, five, but on, on special teams and on the penalty job you see that, that Sun twist does. And, you know, I think you are right about kind of the identity of, uh, a blues history, right. Has always been, uh, to be a hard hitting, bruising, tough team to play against. And, uh, the identity of, you know, the fourth line through these years has been that, uh, I mean, I think we saw it with the 2019 cup run, right. And, and the line they constructed right now is that way. I'm not sh- quite sure we saw it, uh, a ton last year when you have, you know, Josh Levo and Tyler Pitlick uh, on the fourth line. And, you know, Nathan Walker, he plays that way, even though his, his body maybe isn't constructed that way. But this year you have uh, some big guys there, Tor- 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 Torpchenko and Sun Twist.
1: He is Matthew DeFranks. He covers the Blues for uh, the Post-Dispatch for STL today. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time. Enjoy the, uh, the home opener. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up with you a few times over the course of the year.
2: For sure, that's that.
1: Awesome. Very good. There's Matthew De Franks from the Post-Dispatch joining us via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Does a great job uh, covering uh, the team. I've really enjoyed uh, reading him. And now uh, this year following the retirement of Jim Thomas, he's in that role uh, solo. And uh, just uh, great stuff all the way around. Okay, when we return, we are set to be joined uh, by an author by the name of uh, Irvin Munchnik. Uh He recently uh, wrote a book called uh, Without Helmets or Shoulder Pads, The American Way of Death in football conditioning. We're not messing around on this one. Uh, what is going on in the world of high school football and our high school football coaches uh, being appropriate in the way they go about conditioning their athletes? We're going to get into that coming up in just a moment or so. Coming up next hour, more baseball. Uh, we'll talk baseball format and some other things. So still a lot to do on this edition of A Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's a Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. My name is Matt Pawley, taking you till 8 o'clock this evening. We are uh, hoping to speak with uh, Irvin Muchnick in just a moment or so. And uh, he is the author of Without Helmets or Shoulder Pads, The American Way of Death in Football Conditioning. Just, you know, a good happy topic to wrap up the week here on a Friday. Peachy, you know, mighty peachy. Just want just to wanna lighten up the mood and, you know, talk about death and football conditioning. So uh, interesting book, obviously a really important topic. And um, I don't know. I His numbers and his data certainly say one thing. I feel like high school football coaches understand what's going on. I feel like state athletic associations have done a good job. You know, when I was playing high school football, we're doing two days and we're doing like that stuff doesn't exist anymore. Now he's got the data that shows uh, from heat stroke and everything else. So uh, we are hoping for a phone call. If we don't get it, we'll pivot very quickly. And we will uh, talk about this on, uh, on another time. So we're kind of uh, hanging out here to see whether or not we are going to uh, be able to have this uh, conversation or not. Because to be perfectly honest with you, this isn't like, sometimes we have, I give Matthew to Franks, doesn't uh, pick up the phone in our last segment. I can still sit here and I can talk about the blues and uh you know we, we would have loved to have. Had him on, which we did. But in a, like in a hypothetical world, if he wouldn't have picked up, um, I, I could have sat there and still talked about the blues. That segment. Here we are in a situation where if this guy doesn't call us, you know what? I can't sit here and give you the data on uh, on, on on you know the uh, the dangers of conditioning. Well, not with football. that attitude, you can't. So, thanks, Ethan Hannaford. and <laughs> for Matt Pajeski tonight. No. Um, so you know what? We're uh, we're about two minutes late now. I think we were going to officially say not going to call. So if you were worried about the downer that is this conversation, I don't think this conversation is going to be happening tonight. So with that, let's uh, let's switch gears, and we will talk a little bit about— uh, I want to get more into the conversation that I had with Kevin Wheeler earlier today, and we mentioned at the top, the idea of a return of Yadier Molina— to the organization, possibly on the coaching staff. I think from a utopian standpoint, it sounds wonderful. It clearly would make the Cardinals better. Uh, He is a person with a wonderful baseball mind, and having that inside of the dugout is good. He is somebody who just recently got done playing, so a little bit younger. And can maybe more relate to players. And I, I don't think, I don't, I, I want to be clear in saying this. I don't think Oliver Marmel has any problem relating to players. There's, I think one of the, one of, I get frustrated sometimes by these narratives that get put out there by people on social media and by fans and things. Oliver Marmel is not a perfect manager. I think he's a pretty good manager, he's not a perfect manager. Uh, but the idea that he ever lost the clubhouse or that he did not uh, relate well to players and things like that, it's a, it was a ridiculous statement to be made. And it's a lot of people – you don't, you don't hear people who are close to the organization saying that. And I can't tell you how often I get like a text message on a text line and it's somebody saying, well, I know somebody who knows somebody who knew Oliver Marmel when he was managing low-A baseball. And they say, like, stop, just stop. No, no, you don't. Or some at some point, something got said that just wasn't true. People who are around the team, people who see the interactions, uh, people know what's going on. That, that team had a lot of issues. That team had a lot of problems. The Oliver Marmel being connected to the players thing, that's not a problem. But all that being said, having somebody on the staff who played Major League Baseball and played Major League Baseball fairly recently, that's not a bad thing. That's the thing that Matt Holliday would have brought you if he would have been there, still relatively young and had played somewhat recently. I have no problem with the job that Joe McEwing did, and there's been some talk about Yadier Molina coming in as the bench coach. This is actually where I get really uncomfortable. You You know what I hate talking about? I hate talking about people in jobs that that job is currently held by somebody else. If Joe McEwing doesn't have a job right now, then, yeah, let's talk all we want about or Molina coming in as the bench coach. Joe McEwing's got a job, and I don't want to sit here on the radio and talk about somebody taking over that, that job. I just don't – I don't know. I, I'm I'm never overly comfortable with that. So – and the Martin Kilcoin report that, that got this thing started, maybe you saw it on social media today, what really got this started was him saying that there's at least been conversations – between Molina and the Cardinals about a possible position in the organization, possibly on the coaching staff. In Kilcoyne's initial kind of um, opinion piece that he did on TV on it, he didn't specifically mention the bench coach role. Then he gets done with that, and it was kind of a deal where he gets done with that. There's still a few more moments there uh, on the on the TV news. So uh, the anchors are there, and they asked a follow-up question. And when they asked the follow-up question to Martin, that's when uh, he uh, made the comment about bench coach. That's That's when he said that. So it wasn't really part of what he had planned, but it did get brought up. And then in the written portion of it that's on the Fox 2 website – uh, bench coach is not mentioned either. So we, we don't totally know what kind of position they would talk to him about. I know this, and I don't know what the relationship was like between Oliver Marmel and Joe McEwing, but I have no doubt in the world that if Yadier Molina... Disagreed or saw something in a different way than Oliver Marmel, that he would challenge him on it. I, I don't, I don't see Molina as one to hold his tongue, and I think that's good too. I think it's it's good on both sides. I think Oliver Marmel is incredibly comfortable in his managerial skin. Incredibly comfortable in his managerial skin. That's one of the things I appreciate about him the most. He. He loves talking through his decisions. You can ask him any question about any decision that he makes, and he's never defensive. It's very odd, actually. It's good and odd at the same time. Ethan Hannaford, if you do something and somebody asks you, eh, was that really the right way to do it? For me, my initial reaction is to be defensive yes. and want to defend it and like, why is this person asking me this? Yes. And for Marmal, it's a, man, I'm excited to explain my side of it, but let's talk through it. Yes. And I think that one of the big points that you made, and and being that I was around that a little bit this year as well, very patient. And there would be times where you can tell he's, I'm not really sure why you're thinking, but always willing to explain it. It was never, I'm not going to answer this question or I'm going to be rude out of because it was a, whether it be poorly asked question or just fully disagreeing with it, always explained. I mean... That's one thing that I guess people can still see from watching postgame and whatnot, but Marmel has to be one of the best in the business with media. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I think he is he listens and he gives really good explanations. You don't have to agree with it. I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that he's the best manager in the history of time. I'm not telling you that I agree with every move that he makes, but I I understand the path that he gets to in all of his decisions. So a guy who is very comfortable in his position is more than willing to have a conversation about the decisions that they're making. And I see that from him. So I think if you bring in somebody like a Yadier Molina who would challenge him and I don't think would hold his tongue, I think Marmel would be completely comfortable. A text message from the— the 314 said mo would hate molina coming back because he would outshine him i don't understand that text like did did you mean marmol would hate molina coming back because i don't know why mo a what's the motive yeah like john mozellak builds the roster uh yadier molina helps with the coaching staff if this ha- like they're just not this. so maybe that was a maybe that was a mistype and said um Marmel would hate it. I, I don't think he would. I really don't think he would. I think he would embrace it if Molina was all in. And that remains the question. And I say this all the time. You know, when I don't know how many times I got messages and calls, oh, well, are they going to bring Adam Wainwright in to be the pitching coach last year? Oh, is Albert Poole going to come back as the hitting coach? Like a few things here. First off, thing number one, just because you are a really good player, doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be a really good coach. In fact, a lot of times the best coaches are the ones who had to really fight their way through and were not just the overly naturally gifted type player. And, you know, even like a Mark McGuire, go look at the – Mark McGuire wasn't great for power hitters. Mark McGuire was good for, like, the, the 300 hitters. Go look at the guys that he worked with uh, at his place in off-seasons and then when he got into uh, who you know the players that really excelled under him. He was not teaching what he was doing. He was a really good hitting coach, really good hitting coach. But it wasn't so much because of who he was and the type of hitter he was. It was because of what he knew how to teach. So that's the first thing. And I say this over and over, and I just want to repeat this. I don't think people understand the grind of a baseball season. It is it it is every day. And when you are a coach, it is from early on in the day to late at night. And when, um, when, how do I say this? There's just no break. (laughs) There's just, there's no break to it. And You've played for a long time, and I know Molina's just coming off his first year of not playing, and he's had a little bit more downtime, although he's still been very active uh, between coaching and managing internationally and everything else he's got going on in Puerto Rico and his basketball team and all that stuff. It's been probably a little less grindy for him over the last year or so, but one year away from the game after doing it the way he did it for as long, and we've talked about this with Adam Wainwright. You know, Wainwright's going to go down the TV route, and he's been doing a fantastic job already. And maybe he'll get involved in the Cardinals TV stuff a little bit next year. He's certainly going to be involved nationally with Fox, but it's not an everyday sort of thing. He's going to get to wake up and be in his house and see his wife and see his family and do all that stuff that he hasn't been able to do for a really long time. So generally the normal kind of route to coming back into the game is you play for a long time, you leave, you take a little bit of time, then you start to put your foot in a little bit. Maybe you're a special instructor during spring training. Maybe the organization brings you in and sends you to a minor league affiliate for a week or so to spend some time with them. And then at some point, maybe it goes from there. Now, I don't think Yadier Molina is ever going to spend a moment on a coaching staff in the minor leagues. He, If if they bring him in as some sort of catching instructor for the organization, he'll probably end up going into some of these affiliates at some point in time. He'll spend some time in spring training. I just... I would love to see it. I'd love to see Molina on this coaching staff. I don't. I don't think there's any negative to him being on the coaching staff, uh, assuming he's all in on it. It is 100% positive. I just continue to sit here and think. Ah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's um, if that's something that's going to uh, end up happening. Would love for it to happen. I think. I think it'd be good for the organization. I think it'd be good for Oliver Marmol. I think it'd be good for Wilson Contreras. I think it'd be good for everybody. But I'm not sure if the timing is going to work, and that's a decision that uh, Yadier Molina is going to have to make if that type of opportunity comes his way. One more break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up hour number one of the program. It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's a Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, we are going to uh, touch on the clubhouse controversy that existed over the last few days in the world of baseball, where uh, Orlando Arcia of the Atlanta Braves kind of made fun of Bryce Harper in a very loud way in the clubhouse when the clubhouse was completely open to reporters. And uh, it has created quite the controversy and uh, didn't need to go that way, by the way. Uh, but we'll touch on that. I'll give you my thoughts. As someone who spends a fair amount of time in a baseball clubhouse, and to be perfectly honest with you, never really comfortable. I am t- I always feel like I am in somebody else's work area, because I am, but there's also very clear things that are allowed to go on in those work areas when media is allowed. So we'll touch on that coming up uh, just after the 7 o'clock hour. And then uh, my good friend Bart Winkler, who is a national host on CBS Sports Radio, part of the Odyssey family, he's going to join us at about 7.20 uh, or so, and we're going to talk through uh, the baseball playoff format. Now, I'll warn you, He's based in Wisconsin, which is where I used to work. That's why I'm friends with him, because we uh, we work together. So uh, he's very annoyed about the Arizona Diamondbacks, and it's all connected to the fact that uh, they knocked out his Brewers. So just be ready for that part of the conversation uh, when uh, when I have him on coming up uh, next hour. But, yeah, looking forward to having Bart on, and we'll hear more from uh, Coach, uh, Blues Coach Craig Baruby, coming up uh, next hour as well. Interesting weekend in college football. And for... For a couple of our local teams, I feel like this is this is the um, the crossroads weekend, and I'll start that way with Missouri. So, Mizzou is five and one, really good team, very good team. They should be they should be six and zero. They should have won against LSU this past weekend. Although I can also argue, as someone wearing a Kansas State jacket right now, that maybe they should be five and one because it took a sixty-two yard field goal. But anyways, that was a good win for them. I, I kid because. They've played my alma mater. But um, th- I think they have been legit this year. Le- very good. I mean, the the only game that you actually take any issue with was their second game against uh, MTSU, where you feel like they should have won by a little bit more. Outside And then obviously not being able to hold on against LSU. But what I, what I was talking about the, you know, through their first five games, you take issue with them not holding on against LSU this past weekend. That was a huge missed opportunity. They clearly should have won that game. Their next four games are very interesting. Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. The second two of those games, it's going to to be really hard to beat Georgia. It's going to be really hard to beat Tennessee. Those are really, really good teams. Tennessee at home is a more winnable game, obviously, than going down to Athens to play in Georgia. But those are two really tough games. So let's go to a hypothetical world when it comes to Missouri. And let's say they lose those games against Georgia and Tennessee. There's nothing wrong with losing those games. That makes these next two games so incredibly important. They will play at Kentucky tomorrow night, and then they're home against South Carolina next Saturday. Is Missouri a top third team in the SEC, or are they a middle third team in the SEC? I argue that these next two games are going to determine how you view them. We get it. They're not Georgia. I don't think they're Tennessee, but I I'm not impressed by overly impressed by Kentucky. I know Kentucky's got a, a number 24 national ranking. I'm not trying to sit here and just make this the Kentucky slander hour. And they were kind of in the exact same place. They were five and zero, but then they got absolutely run off the field uh, by number one Georgia in their last game, 51-13. I think Missouri's got a legitimate chance to go into Lexington and winning that game against Kentucky. And if then they do that and they follow that up with a home win against South Carolina. They are sitting at seven and one. Even if they lose back-to-back games against Georgia and Tennessee, you feel like they would have a shot at home against uh, Florida, and they would have a shot against Arkansas, and that that turns into a really, really, really good season. But if they were to lose these two games uh, against Kentucky and South Carolina, all of a sudden they're looking a five-game losing streak potentially right in the face, and that's not what they want to do. So. Huge games coming up these next two weeks. Don't want to look to South Carolina before Kentucky, but that would be a good win for them to get tomorrow. That's going to do it for our number one. It is a Graybar Sports Open Line. We'll take a break and have more in just a moment after the news here on KMOX.
0: Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich.